0: I was on mute. I apologize. <laughs> Good to see his face, isn't it, Relentless? Yeah, man. Yeah. So uh, excited. I second what he says. We, we are very excited about our Christmas Eve services uh, and, and just what God is going to do in, in and through them. And uh, we hope to see you all here for that. Um, if you were not here uh, last week or if you're new with us, first of all, my name is Raf, associate pastor here at Relentless, and uh, excited and grateful to, to be able to worship with you this morning. Um <clears throat> Last week, we kicked off a series called Grinched, and I told the church, this, it's loosely based off, it's, it's strongly based in scripture, but loosely connected to the, the movie, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the movie, the book, the story, all of that. And some weeks are going to be looser than others. This is one of those <laughs> weeks where the connection is a little bit loose, but go with me, go with me, okay? Uh, um, so we almost, uh, we didn't have time to, to play the clip, but one of my favorite clips uh, from the Jim Carrey version of the Grinch uh, was when he gets, uh, he's in uh, little Cindy Lou Who's house, and and he's you know stealing all the presents and all the stuff, and he gets to the tree and he's about to shove it up the chimney, and she comes out. She's thirsty. It's in the book too, right? She wants just a cold cup of water. Uh, gets up. She's thirsty. She kind of catches the Grinch red-handed, but he's dressed as Santa, and he says, "Oh, I'm just uh, you know uh, got to fix one of the bulbs on this tree, and then I am gonna take it to my shop, and I'll bring it right back." And uh, in the movie version with Jim Carrey, uh, she she kind of says, "Okay," and he sends her back to bed, and he's like, "Good kid." bad judge of character. (laughs) He like throws a tree up the chimney. One of my favorite parts. I think it's hilarious. But one of the things I can't, that I believe, but I can't prove, okay? I believe this, but I cannot prove. Um, I truly believe when the Grinch is up there on on Mount Crumpet after stealing Christmas, okay? So-called stealing Christmas, and he hears the who's down in Whoville singing songs of joy, despite the fact that all of their presents, all their decorations, all their food, their Christmas dinner, everything is, is gone. And yet still they're singing songs of joy. And, and that, that song they're singing so gleefully that it reaches all the way up to Mount Crumpet. And the Grinch who's hoping to hear like cries and sobbing, he hears them still having all that, that joy and, and excitement. Um, and he realized he hadn't actually stole Christmas at all. He hadn't stole anything because uh, Christmas, of course, is not about all that stuff. It's so much more than, than stuff, right? And in that moment, I just, I wonder, okay, I wonder if he was thinking about that interaction we had with little Cindy Lou Who, okay? Because um, just to take you back there for a second, she was thirsty. She goes to get a drink of water and just happened to walk in at the exact time that the Grinch was standing in her living room about to steal her Christmas tree. Uh, and and, and uh, of course, he gets her the drink of water. He sends her back to bed. But, but um, especially in the, in the movie version, there's an interaction there, right? And she actually, she shows him kindness. I forget exactly what she says, but basically she's like, Santa, will you take care of the Grinch? Because he's, he's sweet, He's sweet. He's a good guy, right? And, and you can almost see the Grinch like, oh, man, like, she's talking about me, right? And then, of course, you know, he sends her to bed and he steals everything. But, but again, I just think in the, in the end, right, when he's standing up there and he realizes, starting to realize what Christmas is all about, um, you know, in that exchange, man, she asked, she's the one who asked for the drink of the water, but the Grinch is the one who's really thirsty. And in that moment, I think he realized that, that he was thirsting for that, that kindness, right? Um, that, that, that connection, that relationship, it's what he's been longing for his, his whole life. And it just made me think of uh, another story, it reminded me of another story in Scripture, uh, of an interaction where someone else was thirsty and asked for a drink of water, and, and, and two worlds collided, and a heart was changed forever. And so I want to I wanna, I wanna go there this morning. This is uh, uh, the story of um, the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well from John chapter 4, starting in verse 3. Uh, I'm going to read the whole thing. It's a big chunk of scripture. Seth told me this morning, he's like, that's the most slides I ever loaded. And I was like, sorry, man. But, uh, but I think it's important we read the whole thing for context up front, and then we can kind of break it apart a little bit. So bear with me. John chapter 4, starting in verse 3. So he left Judea. He is Jesus. He left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Most most Jews went around Samaria. They took the long way. Scripture says Jesus had to go through Samaria. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Jesus, uh, she said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if, only you, if, if you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. And it becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, You're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, You must be a prophet. Coming here, judging me, you must be religious. <laughs> you must be a prophet. She says, So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran. She didn't walk, she ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And so the people came streaming from the village to see him. Man, I, I just I love that. I love that story. I love that that. Uh, every time I read it, man, I just God kind of shows me something new, or encourages my heart, or reveals something in a different way, and and uh, and and I felt that same time reading it um, these past couple weeks. But uh, four things that really jumped out to me that I want to share with you all. Number one, it's not an accident. It's not an accident. Okay, unlike unlike the meeting between Cindy Lou Who and the Grinch, it's not an accident that Jesus is sitting here at this well at this exact time when this Samaritan woman comes to draw water. He didn't just happen to be there. It's not a coincidence. It's not an accident. It's not an accident in this story in scripture. It's not an accident in your life when God God shows up, when he orchestrates things in order to to point you to him in such a way that that it's undeniable that that it was a real-life encounter with him. It's not an accident. You're not an accident. Your life is not an accident. Scripture's clear that God has a purpose, okay? He always has a plan, even when we can't see it or when we don't understand it. It's not an accident where you come from. It's not an accident who you, who you are or, or uh, where you live or who your parents are or what school you went to or, or, or the personal relationships you have. Even some of the hardships that you've walked through in your life, even some of the hard stuff you're walking through right now, I would say it's not an accident. It's, it's, it's God's providence, what that means is there's a God who's in control of it all. And that's, um, that's hard sometimes. <laughs> that's hard for us, even as believers and followers of Jesus, to reconcile, to accept, to, to maybe even believe in. But, 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 but it's true. One of my favorite examples of this in Scripture, uh, we see in the Old Testament, in the story of Joseph. Okay, Joseph had, had uh, 10 older brothers and a younger brother. And, um, you know, just to summarize the whole thing, God allowed Joseph's older brothers to kidnap him, sell him as a slave and then lied to their father for years about his fate. His father thought that he was, he was dead, okay? Had no idea where he was. Now, this was obviously wicked, and it was evil, and it displeased God. Make no mistake. God did not want them to do this, nor was he happy about it. Yet at the same time, all of their sin worked toward a greater good because Joseph ended up in Egypt, okay, where he was made, ha, ha, sold as a slave in Egypt, where he would, because of, of God's grace and, and giftedness and, 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 and blessing, he would rise up to be the prime minister of Egypt, okay, and, and all of a sudden, uh, he was in charge of the entire land, and uh, God, through some visions and some dreams, uh, told him that there was going to be a famine, okay, seven years of famine, not just in Egypt, but in all the surrounding regions as well, and so uh, um, Joseph, uh, you know, being who God made him to be, came up with a plan and they stored food and saved food for seven years to make sure that they'd be prepared for the seven years of of famine. And in the process of doing that, not only did he save uh, all of the Egyptians, but again, the surrounding region, Joseph's family, his brothers and his father, the same guys who sold him into slavery and, and basically wished him dead, okay, he ended up saving their lives. Millions and millions of people would have died, including the Israelites, if Joseph had not made it to to Egypt, okay? There are examples I'm sure you can think of in your life. There there are things you probably have on your mind, on your heart right now, where where we would say, okay, sure, like that Joseph story makes sense. Um, I understand that there's sin, and I understand that we make personal choices, and we have free will, and that explains a lot of the bad things that happen in the world, but what about the stuff that's not our fault? (laughs) What about the stuff that we have no control of, that there's no good explanation for, and, and, and unfortunately, um, I, I have to stand up here and tell you I don't have a good answer for that. I, I, don't, I don't know why God allows those things or why sometimes they, they, still, they still happen. Um, the truth is, I don't know, and that's really, really hard. I, I've been uh, having these similar conversations with, uh, with my daughter. I, I shared, I think, last week and in the past that I have a daughter named Gigi who has type 1 diabetes and we used to say it's God's providence even in, in that she was the one who got it. Of all my five kids, I mean, I got some kids and one, at the sight of blood, she will drop, faint, fall out, right? Like, she cannot. So imagine pricking her 10 times a day with the, with the needle. It ain't happening, right? So the fact that Gigi's like, here you go, like, you can just, your needles all shit. it doesn't even phase her, okay? I was like, man, God knew what he was doing even in, in that. But, but that was, uh, she was diagnosed at 18 months. She's eight years old now. She's in third grade. She's in school, got friends. People are noticing every time at lunchtime or snack time, she has to get up and they pull a little pump and there's like this little stigma coming now and she feels it. Even if people don't say things or project them on her, she feels it and she's, you know, now we're having those, car- dad, why am I like this? Why am I different? Why did God give me that? Why did I hate it? I don't like and I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. I don't have a good answer. Here's what I do know. I got to keep coming back to scripture and I point to what I do know. I do know that God is good. I know he's good. I know he's a perfect father who loves you perfectly. And because we live in a fallen world, that there's... there's a lot of terrible stuff that we wish would never happen that does happen, okay? But we know that God is still good in that. We know that this life is ter- temporary and that we have a promise of forever, of eternity that's really, really long where none of this stuff and none of these issues and none of these problems are gonna exist, okay? I do know that. I know that, I know that, that we have a God who says, Romans 8, 28, uh, all things, We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, okay? That doesn't mean that everything that happens is good. It means that a good God can take a bad thing and and, and give you a good result in the end. And in the middle, man, it hurts and it's hard, but we can hold on to that hope. We can hold on to that, that promise, okay? That's who God is. I know that God's will will be done no matter what, no matter what. And sometimes he works indirectly through circumstances or other people or, or choices or our own sin or the sin of others. Okay, like we see in Joseph's story. Sometimes he works directly to accomplish his will, his will through, through miracles and wonders. Right? He'll give that healing. He'll bring this thing that 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 lets everyone know, man, it's undeniable. I am God, and I am and I am good. Right? So sometimes he works directly. Sometimes it's indirectly. But make no mistake, it's not an accident. It's not an accident. It's God's providence. So here's Jesus, he's sitting at this well, it's noontime, it's the hottest part of the day, and along comes this woman. And and the fact that she comes during the middle of the day means she was an outcast, okay? Most people, most of the women in this day and age will come to the well early in the morning before the sun came up, because it gets way too hot, and that's hard work, and it's a long walk okay? If they couldn't make it then, they would come at the end of the day, after the sun went down, okay? She comes very strategically, very intentionally, at noontime, in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day, because she doesn't want to be around anyone else. And sometimes, you know, again, it's not an accident that Jesus meets her right there in this place at this specific time. It's a divine appointment. It's a divine appointment. It's not an accident, okay? Which leads to the second point. Jesus wants to quench your thirst, Jesus wants to quench your, your thirst. The first thing Jesus asked this woman is, hey, can you get me some water? Will you, will you please get me a drink of water now? In this time and in this culture, people lived and died based on where the water was, okay? Water was, was, was crucial, okay? Cities and towns were designed based on their proximity to the water supply because water is essential for human life, okay? And so water is a big deal, it's a big deal. Now, here's Jesus, shows up, asks this woman for water. She's surprised, right? She's blown away that he would even talk to her, let her alone ask her for a drink. And we'll get into that here in a little bit because Jesus addresses it. But for now, he just kind of, Jesus turns to the question. He flips the conversation back on her and says, hey, if you knew who it was asking you for a drink, you'd be asking me for living water. Remember, it was, it was little Cindy Lou Who who was asking for some water, right? But it was, it was really the Grinch who was thirsty, Thirsty for love, thirsty for connection, thirsting for relationship, trying to fill that thing inside that that just stayed empty his whole life. Jesus asked this woman for a drink as a way of pointing her to the fact that she's the one who's really thirsty on multiple levels. She's got a thirst inside. She looks at Jesus and says, Yeah, I want some of that living water. Bring it on. Give me some of that living water. That sounds good. Where can I get some? Jesus says, Okay, cool. Go get your husband bring them back. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Right? She says, I don't have a husband. says, I know, in fact, you've had five, and the guy you're living with now isn't even your husband. Now, we're getting a little bit of insight into why this woman's going to the well alone in the middle of the day. Here's the deal. Most of us, we read this story, and we get to this part, we find out she's had five husbands, and we're like, oh, right, oh, she's like that, or oh, she's one of them. But I need you not to do that today. I need you not to do that. Instead, I need you to see yourself, not on the outside looking into this story. I need, to see you in, I need you to see yourself in this story because the reality is this woman represents us. She represents us. Whether you realize it or not, each and every one of us, she represents us, a people who are looking for love in all the wrong places, a people who are looking for fulfillment, trying to find satisfaction in all the, war, all the wrong places and all the wrong things. And when we don't find it in one place, or when we feel like it runs out, or when we're no longer satisfied, we move on to the next, hoping to find it there. Whether it's relationships, experiences, material things, whatever it looks like for you, the point is we jump from one thing to another, to the next, and to the next. And so we hear, she's had five husbands, and we're like, whoa, the reality is that's us. That's us, that's you and me. If these friends don't work out for me, I'll find some other new friends. If this relationship isn't working, man, I'm on to the next one. If this person doesn't make me happy anymore, then maybe the next one will. If this thing doesn't satisfy me, then maybe that will. I'll find something else that does. We run from this thing to the next and to the next. Why? Because we're thirsty. Because we're thirsty. Okay, we really are. And the reason it's so important for you to understand that this morning is because it's impossible to get your thirst quenched if you don't first realize, acknowledge the fact that you are thirsty. We are thirsty, you and me, just like this woman was thirsty. And she jumps from relationship to relationship. We don't know her full story, we don't know the context or the details or, 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 or maybe the, what kind of shame or guilt she's walking around with, what kind of weight she's carrying. But here she was, thirsty on multiple levels. And Jesus steps in. He says, I wanna, I wanna satisfy your thirst. I want to quench your thirst once and for all. Let me ask you something, Relentless Church. Has Jesus satisfied your thirst? Has Jesus, have you let him truly satisfy your thirst? Have you let Jesus satisfy the deepest part of you? Or are you you just playing the game? Showing up at church when you can and going through the motions and pretending while you're here, but nothing's really changed in here. Man, he loves you. He loves you. He he has so much more. He wants so much more than that for you. He doesn't want you jumping from this relationship to that relationship, from this friendship to that friendship, or from this material thing to that material thing, trading in this idol for that idol. He has more than that for you. He wants you to be satisfied in him completely, fully, truly. He loves you, and he wants to quench the real thirst inside of you. That's exactly what he does for this woman. He told her who he was. He said, I am Messiah. She showed some faith, didn't she? I know the Messiah is coming. I know who you are, but when he comes, he's going to tell me the truth. Jesus says, I'm him. (laughs) I am he. I am the Messiah. I'm Savior. And he didn't just point out her sin and cast her aside. No, he engaged her lovingly and met her right there where she was at. Right? It's not an accident. He was there for a reason, and he knew exactly who she was leads to the next thing. Number three, Jesus is bigger. Jesus is bigger. He is so much bigger. He's so much bigger. He was bigger than this woman's past. Jesus is bigger than, than, than her present situation. He was bigger than the sin that was holding her back or, or uh, all of the skeletons in her closet. Jesus is bigger. He was bigger than her thirsty reputation. He was bigger We know that was the reason, right? She wasn't going to the well when everyone else was because, you know, she knew what it felt like to be looked down upon. She knew what it felt like to have people talking about her behind her back to her face, you know? Jesus was bigger than all of that. Remember, she was surprised that he would even talk to her, right? Why? Well, first of all, because she was a Samaritan, okay? There's huge cultural implications there. Samaritans and Jews for centuries just hated each other, okay? Just looked at each other as less than less than human, okay? Because of religious and cultural and all these, these, these uh, different layers of reasons, right? and there's, there's history there. And so she says herself, like, why would you, a Jew, talk to me, a Samaritan, right? There's so much in there, okay? Not only that, but she was a woman, right? A woman who had no standing in that society. Jesus wouldn't, uh, as a a good self-respecting rabbi, wouldn't wouldn't talk to a Jewish woman, let alone a Samaritan woman, right? So she says, why why are you even even talking to me? There's huge implications here. It's a big deal for us. This is a huge deal for God's multi-ethnic church. Why? Because scripture is showing us here that Jesus Christ and his love for people was, is, and always has been bigger than any of the cultural walls that we can put up. He's bigger. He's bigger. Jesus's love was bigger than the hatred between Jews and Samaritans. Jesus is bigger than the cultural norms that say, I'm a rabbi, I'm a man, I'm a religious leader, and I don't associate with lowly people who don't, do not worship God, especially not women. Jesus' love is bigger. He's bigger. Jesus is bigger than sexism and misogyny. Jesus is bigger than the racial divide. Jesus is bigger than than our personal politics. Jesus is bigger than socioeconomic class. He's bigger, y'all. Jesus is bigger. And when the people of Jesus realize this, when they see this and they begin to walk this out, this idea that Jesus is bigger, then Jesus actually starts to become bigger in their lives. And that changes everything that changes everything. That's why we are who we are as a church today. By God's grace, we are becoming a a gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic movement of God. Look around. That's what you are a part of. That's what God is is building, okay? And the reason is because we believe the truth from scripture that Jesus is bigger, that he's bigger. Our world needs that. Our Our world needs the church, Y'all, it needs God's multi-ethnic church. Why? To point them to the hope of Jesus so that we can stop being divided by all the garbage that we see, okay? In the news, on television, on Facebook, social media, when it comes to race, politics, and, 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 and culture, and anything else that, 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 and everything else that will serve to divide and cause us to go to our corners and, and say us versus them. That would make us think that we're better than anyone else. Jesus is bigger than that. He's bigger than that. And I need you to know that. I need you to know that Jesus is so much bigger. And when you see that, when you really get it, when it gets inside you, then all of a sudden you're not worried about what people look like anymore, or where they come from, or the color of their skin, or what language they speak, or how they, who they voted for, or, or, or how much money they have. Because the love of God propels you towards them just like it propelled Jesus toward this Samaritan woman. That's who we are, church. That's who Jesus is calling us to be. That's how he's calling us to live. That's the church he's building, the one he always intended, okay? And you can't follow Jesus and stay the same. I promise you that. He won't let you. You cannot truly follow Jesus and stay the same because he's bigger than that. He's bigger than that. So I just want to challenge you. I don't know exactly what that looks like for you in your life, in your context, but I, I can say... Um, I would say this, if, if it's de- what December 11th, is that right? <laughs> we the end of 2022, right? December 2023 rolls around. If your life looks exactly the same as it is now, your, 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 your friend group, your, your work, the people you're having conversations with, the people who are sitting around your dinner table, the, the same type of conversations you're having, just if everything looks the way it does now, then I would question, am I truly, have I really embraced the gospel of Jesus and am I truly following him the way he's called me to because he's so much bigger than that? And so if that means, man, reaching out to a neighbor and saying, hey, we don't know each other much. <laughs> I'm not from where you're from. Can we sit down and have some coffee? Can we have, can we, can we have each other over for dinner? I'd like to meet your family. Maybe it's, it's talking to someone you never had a conversation with at work. Maybe it's talking about that person that's on your mind right now that I'd be like, I hope he doesn't say this right now. That person right there, maybe it's extending knowledge branch and saying, hey, let's have a talk. You know you know why? Because um, you know, I I, we may not get along and I think we see things differently, but, but I know that my God is so much bigger than that. So I'm going to trust him and believe him and, and see what happens. I just challenge you to step into that. I promise you God won't let you down. He's bigger. He's bigger than that. Lastly, when it becomes true for you, it becomes true for others. When it becomes true for you, it becomes true for others. All those, all those things we just talked about, Okay, when you believe them, when you step into them, when you truly receive them, when they become true for you in your life, they will become true for other people. Okay, so, so when you realize that it's not an accident, that you are where you are for a reason when you realize it's not an accident that she's in your group or, or he sits next to you at work or that they live in your neighborhood or, or, or that you're on that, this team or that you serve on that committee, when you realize it's not an accident, okay, you realize it's not an accident. Why? Because it was true for you, okay, and God met you right where you were. Maybe he might want to use you to be the same or do the same for someone else. Man, comes true for you, becomes true for them. When you realize Jesus doesn't just want to quench your thirst, but he actually wants to quench the thirst of an entire generation. Man, we start believing that. If we start believing that Jesus can quench our thirst personally, then it'll become true for other people. Because people are going to see you and not, uh, not just talking about Jesus, only Jesus can satisfy, but actually see you. Okay, they'll see you. I brought my props up here. Excuse me. See you drink deeply of Jesus, and they're gonna be like, man, that guy's not thirsty like I'm thirsty. She she, she 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 doesn't experience these things the way I experienced them. Man, her life doesn't look like mine, man. He's got a confidence. She's got a peace. They have a, they have a way about them, the way they talk, the way they carry themselves, even when things don't go well at work, even when the situation isn't, didn't work out the way it was planned. There's something about them that I'm drawn to, man. I want that. Whatever they have, I want that. When it becomes true for you, it'll become true for others. When it becomes true that Jesus is bigger, man, That he's bigger than your obstacles, that he's bigger than your your weaknesses, that he's bigger than your past sins or your present circumstances, that he's bigger than your your biases or your preconceived notions. The cultural barriers that might keep you apart or might have kept you apart in the past, when people see you walking in that truth and living in that way, it will become true for them. Jesus will become bigger for them. This This was the Samaritan woman's story, right? This is what we see She saw that Jesus was bigger and she ran, she ran, not walked, back to town and told everybody she could about him and what he did and what he told her. She could not help it. She couldn't wait to tell anyone and everyone she came into contact with. Remember, everybody knew who she was, right? Everybody knew her story. These are the people she was trying to avoid five minutes ago. She's running back to them and saying, hey, I met the man. I met the man who told me everything I ever did. Guess what? Her fear of what people thought about her and how they perceived her evaporated in the presence of Jesus' great love for her. Just disappeared in a moment of amazing grace. Have you ever had a moment like that? Where you stop being scared of what people think or how they see you? Because you realize that if Jesus could forgive your past mistakes, if, if, if Jesus could save you from your sins and truly satisfy you and fill your heart and guard it for the rest of your life and promise you eternity with him, then who cares what anybody else thinks? It doesn't matter. You have the greatest thing in the world. Who cares? My, my fear of man is gone and all I can do now is go out there and try to live a life that honors him for all he's done for me. And I can't help but share that truth. Share that hope with the other people in my life and invite them into it. Because when it becomes true for you, it becomes true for others. Man, I, uh, I love this story so much. And, and uh, we've shown this in, in the past, but uh, I, I, there's a show called The Chosen that, that really illustrates. Uh, it's a show about Jesus and his disciples, um, multi-seasons. I think they're like in the middle of season three right now. If you've never seen it, I highly recommend it. It's well done really, really good. But, but this particular scripture, they bring to life in such a powerful way. Um, and, and so uh, I just, I want you to see it. I think we've shown it before, but it was during the pandemic. So who knows if y'all saw that. It was when we were doing online church. But, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I want to give you the opportunity to check it out now. And then, uh, and then we'll, we'll close out after that. So go ahead and watch this with us.
2: told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ!
1: <laughs> hey, wait! <laughs> You're what, dear? You forgot your, um... You told me
0: everything I ever did! <laughs> He's so much bigger. And when that becomes true for you, it will become true for others. And then what we see in our church, what we experience here, will will, will spill out into the world and our communities and our schools and our jobs. and, 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 And that's when, man, the impact that God wants to make in and through us will start to become possible. It's not an accident. Jesus wants to quench your thirst. Jesus is bigger. When it becomes true for you, it will become true for others. Let that change your life this week. Let that accept that, embrace that, and let it affect you this week when you leave this place. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this day, God. I thank you for this church, God. I'm so grateful for each and every one of these, these people, Lord, and, and God, this, um, this family you've given us and, and blessed us with, God, and I just pray that you would help us to put into practice what you are teaching us, God. Thank you that it's not an accident, that you have us right where you want us, that you've been with us every step of the way, and that you will be with us every step that we go, God, that you go before us, that you're preparing a place for us even now, God. Thank you for that promise, Lord. Thank you that you, you want to quench our thirst, God, that not, the, not the thirst where we'll be thirsty again, but that deep, real thirst, God, that, that, that living water, God, I pray that for each and every one of us this morning, God. Fill us to the point of overflowing so we can spill out on, on other people. God, thank you that you're so much bigger bigger than anything that could divide us, bigger than anything that could keep us apart, God, bigger than anything that could keep us from you. Thank you that you're bigger for what that means for us, God, and help us to live that out in a way that it would become true for other people this week. We love you. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all. Have a great week. Come back next Sunday. We'll be wrapping up Grinched.